reality of it is like there's really nothing about the job that's conducive to health and fitness. How, how do we undo what the job is going to do to you? Sitting you know, in a car for the majority of a 10-hour shift, I mean, that's a lot of seat time. You know, that A lot of what our focus is, is, you know, again, undoing, you know, having to sit in those postures for an extended period of time. Because we do want to make sure that we're addressing the high-end, more athletic aspects of it. But also we have to remember, it's like, okay, the health is the base. Sometimes you could be asked to do these things that are highly explosive and, you know, life-threatening. But at the same time, we got to make sure you have a good enough fitness that you can you know, withstand the, the stress is placed on you in those situations. I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you just heard is the guest for this episode, Dr. Jay Dawes. Before I go into the introduction for Dr. Dawes, I just want to remind you that if you're looking for resources for how you should be exercising, If you're looking for how to design workout programs or workout programs to reach specific goals, I have you covered. I have eBooks, Functional Core Training, Dynamic Anatomy, and Exercise for the Fountain of Youth. Those eBooks will help you learn important principles about exercise that you can apply right away. Plus, each one of my eBooks comes with workouts that you can start doing so you can start reaping the benefits of exercise. Please check down below in the show notes for more information or go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. Go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, sign up for my email list, and I'll send you one or two high-quality emails a month that will help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. Now let's get back to the introduction for Dr. Dawes. Jay and I have known each other for a long time. Jay is a professor at Oklahoma State University, where he's not only responsible for educating the next generation of fitness professionals, he teaches in the exercise science and kinesiology department, but Jay also does a lot of research on fitness and exercise conditioning for law enforcement. He's published a few papers on strength and conditioning and fitness needs of, of law enforcement and first responders. What One of the things that Jay studies is how do you fit in fitness? How, how can 15 minutes or 20 minutes of exercise make a difference in your health? This is a fascinating conversation about the evolving field of fitness. So here we are with Dr. Jay Dawes, professor at Oklahoma State University, and we are talking about tactical strength and conditioning one little note, the, the internet gremlins were getting in the way, so you may hear a little popping, a little crackling at one or two points, but hey, don't worry about that. This is a great conversation, so let's get into it. Today, we're catching up with Dr. Jay Dawes, an Associate Professor of Exercise Science. How are you doing today, Jay? I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast. Yeah, I'm doing great, Pete. It's great to see you, man. And we're catching up a little bit before. So now, where where are you teaching now? What what exactly, where are you teaching and what are you teaching? Yeah, so I'm uh, currently at Oklahoma State University. And uh, I say currently, like, this is the last stop. On the- <laughs> I, I've joked before, that if this doesn't work out, I'm going to go to Lowe's and sell hammers or something. But uh, this is this is where I will be. Um, so, yeah, I'm at Oklahoma State University. Exercise Science Program, and uh, yeah, I've been here since uh, 2000 or fall of 2019. And now, when did you get your doctorate, Jay? Because you and I have known each other for listeners. Jay and I, we first met a number of years ago at one of the NSCA conferences, and so we've kind of we've gone similar routes. But you went the formal PhD route, and I just haven't made made the time or made that investment yet. But when did you get your PhD? Oh man! Well, I I started it in 2003 and finished in 2011. So by that point, I could have been a real doctor instead of a PhD. <laughs> yeah, no, it uh, it was a very nonlinear process to get it done. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of like you, Pete. Like I mean, I was a working professional throughout that time span, and um, you know, it had moved actually. But from the time I started the PhD to the time I completed it, I actually lived in three different states. So yeah, it was it was a process, but yeah, I finished it up in 2011, and uh, you know, actually been full time in academia since about 2010. Well, talk talk about the the life in academia a little bit, because I think people would be interested to know that. Because Jay, we have this perception of if you're a professor, you and I'm not saying you're not smart, but if you're if you're a professor that, that you're 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 very esteemable, but when you look at it. It can be a grind to find the right opportunity in the right school. That, that's what I really want you to talk about because I've only taught a little bit. I've taught in a, in a junior college here in San Diego. I've taught a little bit at San Diego State only as an adjunct because I, I don't have a doctorate. But, but talk a little bit about the process of what it takes to become a professor. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. So I think, you know, initially when I started out getting the PhD, um, I think I had a little bit of a misconception. I'm like, man, you know, once I get this, it's going to open up a huge market and, you know, do all kinds of different stuff, which I have been. But also, as far as from an academic standpoint, I really narrowed myself into only a handful of jobs. The thing I probably didn't really recognize at that point is, okay, you're getting your degree in exercise science, but under exercise science, that's like a giant umbrella. So you've got your biomechanist, you've got your, you know, strength conditioning people, you've got uh, aging, and it's, you know, there's a whole host of different things under that space. And with my primary gig being more on the strength conditioning route, um, you know, a lot of programs that may not be their focus. So more like a you know clinical exercise physiology versus strength conditioning then even though you know I have good credentials and have done uh, numerous things I may not be the right fit for that program or that department um, so yeah it really it is one of those things where you know in, in getting that degree you, you really got to think of you know kind of begin with the end in mind like okay what what do I really want to be in and you know what do I want that trajectory to look like now fortunately I did find the right trajectory and the right path in the right area for me. Uh, so I said, it's like, I'm not, I'm probably not very good at any one thing, but I'm a pretty good generalist. And I think that makes me uh, pretty good in that strength conditioning space and just the experience in that, that realm. Uh, yeah, finding universities that focus on, you know, what your particular skill sets are. So you're actually making the team better and not just, you know, a position is, you know, sometimes a little bit of a challenge. Well, and then how much when you get in, when you get into that position as a professor, is there pressure to publish and do research? Is there kind of like what have you done? Done what have you done for me lately? Because I think, and I'm not like I'm not I'm not knocking that right because universities. Part of what I've seen, Jay, is that as as a full professor, as even an associate professor, you need to get grant money coming in to fund the lab. You need to get grad students that come in that that go into the program. So part of it is you're recruiting into grad students. And, and so what is it, do you feel, I, the reason why I want to say this is because you know one of the biggest things in our industry, Jay, is fitness, is, is people people get into fitness because they don't want to do sales. People think that right. I'm in fitness, I don't need to do sales. But what I want to kind of, what I'm, what I'm trying to point out is that almost everything is sales because even as a professor, you need to sell your program to incoming students or to potential students. You need to sell your research to people who are going to fund that. I mean, am I wrong in that? Is that is that incorrect? Nope, that's a hundred percent accurate. And it's really funny. So back, you know, in, in the old or old golden days, like when I owned my own training facility, you know, I was talking to somebody who's one of my clients. I'm like, yeah, so you know, my, my biggest challenge, like, I'm not really a salesperson. And they go, like, oh my God, you're the biggest salesperson I know. And when they said that, like at first it was kind of like almost offensive, like it was like a bad thing. And I said, well, I said, I don't really consider myself a salesman because I think everybody has that negative connotation, like the used car salesman guy who's trying to sell you something you don't want. You believe in what you're doing. You talk to people about it. You share that information. Like, that's sales. I'm like, oh, that actually makes sense. So the thing that, um, you know, from the academic perspective, it's not dissimilar to any other area. I mean, basically, you need to be able to kind of justify why you're doing what you're doing and that it makes sense and that there is somebody out there who's going to benefit from that product or whatever you're trying to create. Uh, yeah, you know, with, with academia, you know, basically my job consists of three major areas. So um, currently, 50% uh, of my job is teaching, 40% is doing research, and 10% is service. And like I said, if you look at different universities, you know, those those ratios may get skewed a little bit. Like at the previous universities I was at, it was 40 40 for the service. And, and then also based off of what your skill sets are, you can actually negotiate with the university and say, hey, you know what? I'm a better researcher than a teacher. So I want 60% of my time to be done doing research and you know this amount to do teaching and service and, and vice versa. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that whatever product you're, you're, you're trying to sell that, like, you know, from a teaching perspective here, you know, I, I think, you know, and obviously I'm biased, but I genuinely believe in our product. I think we got one of the best programs in the country, if not the world. And I want people to know about that. And, you know, for me, like, you know, my job essentially is to get my students jobs once they graduate. So basically I want to make sure they leave here armed and prepared to do what they want to do. It's like, I think in the past, you know, not everybody walks out of school. You're not going to have your dream job. Usually walking right out the door. General, most of the time, the, the students who are actually, um, you know, pursuing this, you know, to the level they need to be pursuing it usually end up in the areas they want to get, you know, professional sports, or if they're looking at, you know, collegiate or high school or whatever it is, like they've managed to find jobs in, in the area that's putting them on the track that they want to uh, pursue.
So, yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, because you were talking about like from the, the grant perspective, that's a funny game um, as far as like applying and trying to get grants, because really like what you're trying to do is you're trying to sell the funding agencies on what research you're doing and that it's going to have a bigger impact that you know, only is going to benefit the, the individual uh, individuals that read that research, but also that it matches and aligns with what the funding agencies uh, purpose and goals are as well. What's that old saying? Like sales is the old, the, the second oldest profession on <laughs> First, yeah. So it's, but it's it's really yeah. It's if you believe in what you do and you want people to generally get benefit from it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. So. What I wanted people to understand is is that you always have to produce, and as a professor, I, your your production cycle becomes somewhat different. And, that, and I forgot that you owned your own facility. So talk. Did you when you started out when you first got into into the, into the fitness world, Jay? What was your goal, and like how did that evolve over the years? Yeah. So again, a very nonlinear process. So I started out. So I so very aggressively mediocre baseball player in, in junior high, right? And so I wanted to learn about how to do strength conditioning to become a better player. And, and I actually started out as an uh, obese kid. Strength conditioning was kind of the catalyst that got me more fit and got me into the sport that I enjoyed. And actually played a couple years in college at some small schools uh, and I got injured. At that point, I kind of realized like, you know, I might have actually enjoyed the process, maybe even more than the destination of actually playing the sport. And so that really kind of led me in, in that direction. So um, when I finished up uh, playing baseball, I wasn't able to play anymore. The, uh, the lady that was the uh, softball coach said, hey, would you like to possibly come out and be our assistant coach and, you know, help with like, you know, hitting and, you know, technique driven stuff. And I said, well, yeah, I was like, I'd be happy to do that, but I want to do the strength conditioning too. And like, sure, no problem. Um, and so that kind of led into, at my first university, I became the physical fitness coordinator for the university, as well as a strength coach for our uh, softball team. And, you know, I, I actually started out in a degree in business administration. That's actually what my undergrad is in. Ironically. Oh, really? Yeah. And so, because I figured, you know, at that point, like starting out school, like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, but I'm like, okay, business is general enough that that'll take me in some different directions and it gives me a decent base. Well, we both came, I'm, I'm a couple years older than you, Jay, but we both came out of college in the mid to late 90s, yeah. which is really before, that was before you had the evolution of where strength and conditioning is now. Like now, you, I just interviewed a friend of mine a couple months ago or recently, but the, the interview will be on a couple months back, but he, he went to school to become a strength and conditioning specialist. And he started, he got out of San Diego State in 2011, and now a number of his high school players have become professional athletes. Whereas when you and I were in school in the 90s, you know, the idea of starting a strength and conditioning um, facility to work with high school athletes. Oh, crazy. Because professional yeah. athletes, right, professional athletes weren't doing S&C all year round. They were showing up at camp to get in shape for the sport. So we've seen the, the we've seen this whole industry evolve, Correct. Oh, 100%. Well, I mean, and keep in mind when I started doing resistance training, I mean, that was the in the, you know, the Bash Brothers and all that when, you know, you yeah. see Mark McGuire and Conseco and, you know, before that people were like, oh, you don't want to lift weights for baseball. I'm like, well, I reckon they're doing pretty good. So, <laughs> yeah. It looked like they know the way around a weight room. Now, granted, there were, you know, there's issues that go along with that now that we know, but but yeah, I mean, looking at that, it, it was one of those things where, yeah, back in the 90s, I mean, it was kind of your standard hyper programs where, you know, it's really people who wanted to go into coaching that were, were taking a lot of those. I'm like, you know, I, I want to coach, but I don't want to be a sport coach. I want to be a, you know, and, and truthfully at that point, I didn't even know what a strength conditioning coach was because we didn't have one. Um, so it was one of those things where I started doing some research. I'm like, oh, there's actually people that help do this. So anyway, that kind of led me down that pathway. But um, I, so I ended up taking what would have been the equivalent of an exercise science minor um, and, order to get into and take all my prerequisites to get into Oklahoma State for my master's. And so I did that. And then while I was here, you know, I worked as an independent personal trainer, um, you know, did a little bit uh, of work with athletes as well, and then also got involved with a uh, medical facility. So um, Stillwater Medical Center had a program at that point, post rehab program, as well as a senior fitness specialist. Uh, and so basically, you know, when people graduate from PT, I would take over and try and help, you know, 
fitness and do that. And then same with the senior fitness program. About the time I was finished up my master's degree, I had a job offer from a guy in Oklahoma City who uh, I was going to school with, who was really heavily involved with the NSCA and vectors. And he was you know, writing it, you know, in one of the columns for uh, the strength conditioning journal and writing books. I'm like, dude, that's really what I want to do. And so basically I left from a potential full-time job with benefits and salary and all that to 100% commission. And I'm like, <laughs> so, yeah, I think the first month I made like 80 bucks. I'm like, I literally made the worst decision of my life. You know, things gradually progressed and, and picked up and, you know, established a, a clientele. And, and um, I, I think, you know, I guess to answer, to more immediately answer your question, the game plan was, was to actually own and operate a training facility. And that's really, you know, where I wanted to be. I thought maybe I want, I'd want to get into teaching, maybe this age or a little bit later once my career was over but you know as I started doing it you know I worked as an adjunct at a university and really enjoyed that and uh by the by the time started you know by the time we purchased that training facility sold it it went from a 1200 square foot facility to a 6400 square foot one. Oh wow and, yeah and we had like four or five trainers that were independent contractors working with us and a really good crew and stage in the game it was most of what I was wanting from, you know, a professional standpoint. Now, obviously, I wanted to do some more things like writing and speaking and kind of get my foot in the door and do that. But uh, but that was really the, the space I was interested in. So it was what there was a situation where the NSCA um, some people that were there said, hey, you know, our education director position is open. Are you interested? Not really. I mean, this is, you know, this is what I want to be doing. And, you know, I, I got a computer little strength conditioning here. Why would I want to leave this? I started talking over with the wife and family. It's like, you know, if you look at long-term connections and possibilities with that position, like even if I was in it for a short amount of time, I mean, it really help, you know, catapult certain things as far as the trajectory of where I want to go career-wise and, and some of those other areas. So um, so we left Oklahoma, uh, sold that training facility, moved to Colorado, and I got to work there for about three and a half years as education director. And uh, that was also kind of the turn of events that a whole lot of my career because before that I was mostly in you know general fitness and, and strength conditioning for sport and while I was at the NSCA the uh, tactical strength conditioning program was created and you know so kind of being at the ground floor when all that was uh moving forward I just kind of fell in love with that space because it's really it's kind of the perfect blend between personal training and athletic performance um and you know there's that term you know the tactical athlete which really is, is more of an aspirational concept because I mean we have individuals that have to do very highly demanding physical job tasks, but may not be as athletic as we like. Um, in fact, you know, some may not even be healthy people. So, um, so I just kind of fell in love with that space, but uh, I, I was also teaching as an adjunct instructor at uh, a local university there and uh, thought, you know, like, I think long-term wise, you know, for me to be able to create the content that I want to do to answer the questions that I want to see and not be under the confines of an organization. Cause you know, I think we, we kind of had this conversation before is that, like, you know, when you work for an organization, that's the, the organization drives it. Um, and you have to, you know, do what the organization you know, has, has hired you to do versus you kind of being able to explore different topics and areas that you're going to be, you know, after about three and a half years of doing it, it was, it was an awesome job, but it was time. Okay. I think, you know, I need to get out and professionally keep growing uh, in some different ways. So that's kind of when I jumped into academia. Now, now with that being said all the time. So I, when I left Oklahoma, I was actually halfway through a PhD uh -huh. um, and, and in full disclosure, the original intent was, I'm like, well, all right, I have this awesome training facility. You know, having Dr. J instead of Coach J behind your name might, you know, you know, impressive to some people that may want to, you know, bring people in and, and have them more interested in training with you. And then all of a sudden, kind of halfway through the process, I'm like, actually, might be something I want to do. <laughs> well, and see, that's the thing is, is in the time that we've been doing this, Jay, and this is one of the reasons why I think you and I have stayed friends over the years is we have similar trajectories in some realm because you work for the NSCA, which is one certification organization. I work for the American Council on Exercise, which is another. And, and as you said, I mean, one of my primary reasons for going there, I looked at that as kind of like my master's, my like kind of advanced level because it gave me the opportunity working there. And my goal was to stay there at least five years, which I did almost to the day. Um, but my goal was to stay there and to really network and really get to know other people in the industry because I wanted to be doing what I'm doing now, which is consulting with different 
with, with, with different organizations and different opportunities and write and, and speak at different events and stuff. But yeah, now that I'm knocking on the door at 50, I'm figuring, trying to figure out, okay, now how do I settle back down? <laughs> so I don't have to, I mean, one of the best things about the past year is not having to fly, you know, more than a hundred thousand, live in a, live in a, in an airplane or live in hotel rooms, which in some respects isn't bad when you're a little bit younger, but as you get a little bit older, you're like, Oh, where am I going? What am I doing? It's got a shelf life. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I will say this. I've always, I always enjoy it once I get there. Moving the people and get to do that. But the getting there part and the getting back part has gotten hard. <laughs> it's just, it's not easy. Yeah. And, and, and the fun of it is, is you do it. But one of the things I want to come back to, because one of the cool things that I got to do a little bit while at ACE was ACE has a peer, a peer trainer program for firefighters. And I yeah. did get to speak at the Redmond event one time with the IAFF. And years before I came to ACE, I'd done a program with DC Fire. I'd done a strength and conditioning program with the DC Fire Department through one of the comp- through the health club company I was working with. They're trying to get more uh, women to pass the, the to pass the physical the CPAT. So I actually went through the CPAT. I think my time was seven and a half minutes at noon on a July. It was a July. It was like a week midweek. It was, it was noon of July in DC, which is like a hundred percent humidity. I was going to say so heat humidity weren't a factor. Ah, but I had to wear the full turnout coat and everything. So, but I, I was happy with seven and a half minutes. I was like, good. I'm fine. It sucked, but I did it. Um, That's a respectable time. Yeah. But but let's talk a little bit about this whole evolution because you mentioned you know NSCA came out with a tactical strength and conditioning coach. And I think a lot of people don't realize because you're right. You have this. We have this perception of like cops and firefighters being weightlifters, but really, how? What does the term tackle athlete mean? I mean, why should they? Why should somebody who works as a first responder, whether it's law enforcement, military, or in an, in an ambulance crew, an EMT, why should they be training like an athlete as opposed to a bodybuilder? Yeah, no, and, and that's a great point, Pete. And I think, you know, the really the gist of it is if you look at the occupational tasks that they're responsible for performing, I mean, there's a lot of similarities to what high-level athletes have to do on the playing field. This is usually like what, what are the stakes involved? Because, I mean, they're playing to protect the public and their own personal safety or the, the safety of those around them. And like I said, I mean, in, in those situations, their life is in significant peril. Um, so it, it's one of those things where there's so much overlap between, you know, what they have to do from the, you know, you know, running to, you know, getting over bears, dodging, weaving, um, you know, going hands-on with an individual as far as defensive tactics, goes up, you know, several flights of stairs. And, you know, it, it's a very, very physically demanding job. But I think the thing that's paradoxical about, and this kind of feeds into what we were talking about earlier is, you know, as I've gotten older, like things haven't become easier. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I like like I said before, I can still do everything I did when I was 20. It hurts more and takes a lot longer to recover. And I think yeah. that's the trick is, you know, when you're talking about training athletes, we have certain parameters that have been set forth for training, you know, in that space. But realizing that a lot of these folks are being asked to do physically demanding activities, but don't necessarily have the base of fitness and or, um, you know, the repetition and skills that certain elite level athletes have on you know the, the basic fitness attributes, right? So your strength, your power, speed, acceleration. So really, I think you know initially when the tactical athlete or when the when the TSAC program came out, I think initially my thought was like, hey, you know, here's the who's kicking down the door and you know shooting the bad guy and saving the baby and you know all that stuff. And then you go and start working with agencies, like you know, there's certainly those people out there that you know are insanely fit individuals. Some of the most fit people I've ever met are in, you know, fire and law enforcement. You know, there's certain individuals where, I mean, they, they struggle just in life, you know, being a healthy human being. And, and so that, I think that can, it speaks, I mean, it's, it's funny because I always feel bad when I say that, but I mean, there's a huge dichotomy. We had one training academy where we had an individual jump 31 inches and another jump three. <laughs> but 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 that's and a major. Honestly, I wouldn't have believed either one if I hadn't seen them both for myself. So but that that becomes a major issue in recruitment, right? Because I it mean, is. and that's where I mean that's where Greg Cook's functional movement screen has become so instrumental. Because they, I mean, because that because you understand that they become they go through such a rigorous training process that they could get injured and wash out of the academy or wash out of the training program at a cost of tens of thousands of dollars to the agency. And I'm thinking of like maybe in terms of military, because I know. I know certain special operations units now won't recruit you or you can't even go into the recruitment class unless you don't get a certain score on the FMS. But why, I mean, how is, so how is this tactical athlete, how has that changed in your view as, as somebody who, as an outsider who studies this, how, is that, is that been good as this, as this transition 
towards a towards a tactical athlete and tactical conditioning. Do you think that's a good thing for for these services? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great thing, but I think the the hard thing about it is is it takes people who are you know well-versed practitioners who understands that even though here's our aspirational concept, everybody's an individual. And you know, we're trying to move that needle and move you along that continue to have you know, your ideal occupational readiness level. But there's going to be a lot of things that may create stop gaps along the way. Um, if you don't have a good requisite of just general fitness, then that's going to impact your occupational performance. I think that's the thing is just recognizing that, you know, we have kind of an ideal scenario of what we'd like people to get to, but realize that probably one of these things is just keeping moving that needle toward realizing that some people may never, never get there, but, you know, are they going to be better than they were? And can we help agree and, you know, you know, things like that. And I think you'll probably want to even the bigger issues. It, it, it's funny because I've kind of come full circle on a lot of stuff where colleagues the other day kind of outed me. You know, you say you're a performance guy, but really you do more public health. I'm like, no, I don't. Like I'm, I'm a performance dude. Like that's my thing. And then she goes, hang on a second, listen to the things that you're saying. And then I kind of sat back and like public health. <laughs> <laughs> but, but let's take a look. Cause what is what, I mean, let's look across when we look at, at law enforcement and fire departments, from the stats that I've seen, Jay, from the data, and you're one of these people out there collecting the data, so you know this firsthand, but from what I've read just in the journals, is that one of the number one issues is like heart disease. It yeah. is you get cardiometabolic disease, you you know, you get diabetes, you get heart disease. Because let's face it, despite what the cop shows show on TV, despite what we see in the movies, majority of time, a large majority of time in these occupations is spent sitting. Right. Yeah, well, and, and I, I think that's the reality of it is like there's really nothing about the job that's conducive to health and fitness. How do we undo what the job is going to do to you sitting you know, in a car for the majority of a 10 hour shift? I mean, that's a lot of seat you know, that a lot of what our focus is, is, you know, again, undoing, you know, having to sit in those postures for an extended period of time. Yeah, it, it, Like I said, it, it is. Because we do want to make sure that we're addressing the high-end, more athletic aspects of it. But also we have to remember, it's like, okay, the health is the base. You know, yeah. At any given time, you could be asked to do these things that are highly explosive and, you know, life-threatening. But at the same time, we got to make sure you have a good enough well, health and fitness that you can, you know, withstand the, the stress that's placed on you in those situations. Because I mean, in a lot of the research we're doing, we're like we're, we're doing um, during, uh, occupational training scenarios. We actually did um, something with our fire department the other day. We looked at uh, air management training. Um, where they go in and they perform a series of occupational tasks, and then they train themselves to get control of their breathing to make sure that they don't use up the full tank of uh, uh, that they have of oxygen. And uh, you know, we were seeing that about 55% of the time, their heart rate zone is in that top end. So they're between 91 to 100% of you know what their age predicted max heart rate is. And we had a couple of people that were breaching their you know theoretical max. So that's the thing is like, you know, you, you look at that and go like, okay, for somebody who is, um, you know, healthy and fit, like that's, that's a challenging workout for somebody who's unfit that can be deadly. Well, and that's, I mean, that's with fire services. I think number one, one of the number one issues is sometimes on certain scenes, you have an older member of the service go down with a cardiac issue. So you have half the, you have like a team that are like trying to fight, they're trying to work the scene. And then you got part of the team that to deal with somebody who's on the ground having a cardiac. I mean, am I wrong in that? In what I've read? Not at all. And I, and I think that's the thing is that, you know, when you're, when you talk to folks that are you know, doing those jobs, none of them ever want to be a burden on, on their fellow officers or their, you know, their colleagues. So challenges, you know, you, you don't ever want to be that person for, for a lot of reasons. So, cause I mean, at, at that point, you know, when you're attending to a fire or something else, like that's the primary task at hand, you don't want to add another variable to that. That makes it more of an issue. So. Well, and, and real quick, just I, as you're talking about like this occupational need, I got this funny vision, Jay, of somebody in a patrol car. It could be male or female, somebody in a patrol car. They have to get out of the patrol car. But yo, time out. I got to get my movement prep on. Hold on. Let me get a quick little movement right. prep. Let me do some little dynamic warm. All right, game on. Let's go. You know, you don't, they don't have that opportunity. So, I mean, what, what, in your mind, in your experience, what's been the biggest challenge for first responders? Is it, is it time, making time to exercise? Is it doing the right exercise? What, what's been the biggest challenge for people working in that situation? I mean, honestly, and I think this is the funny thing is like in, in some ways they're unique in what they have to do, but otherwise they're just, I mean, they're, they're human beings, right? So like all the challenges that they have that grown men and women have as adults, they have as well. So training tend to be things like time and 
uh, you know, resources can, can be a challenge as, as well, but you know, it, it, it's probably, you know, that that's the biggest thing is like, when you look at all the amount of time they have in a day, they've got families, they've got commitments outside of their job. You know, it, it's one of those things where eating for that time for them to dedicate to their health and fitness. Um, the other aspect of that too, is like, you know, depending, you know, shift work, it's so challenging from a, you know, health standpoint, just if you look at, you know, sleep patterns and then, you know, at, at, in the morning, like there's not a lot of great healthy choices to go, you know, find food and selections and things like that. So, you know, if you don't take the time in advance to kind of prepare and get a game plan for what you're going to do and maybe have, you know, healthy food available, then you're going to tend to gravitate to things like to the gas station and picking up whatever you can get. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, you got businesses who are very kind and well-intentioned, but they'll give them free hot dogs and, you know, burritos. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> that's literally undoing everything we're trying to do, but yeah. I mean, the heart is there and it's very kind that they're doing it, but it's just like, Oh, it's like, dude, throw, throw a deli sandwich at them or something instead. But well, yeah. a friend of mine once called it in a different context. He called them accidental donuts, right? I mean, you didn't plan right. on having that donut, but you go in for a cup of coffee and these guys, I mean, again, they're, they're, they might be going in for a cup of coffee at whatever time in the morning. And if somebody says, Hey, how about a donut or two? it's kind of hard because sugar's a drug, right? That's like saying to a heroin addict, here, here's some free heroin. I mean, we all know you can have that best intention, but if you're hungry, you're tired, and you see that free glazed donut there, I mean, that's like smacking the vein. Oh, well, and, and that's the whole thing, too. Is like, I mean, and just as like, you know, a normal human being, like even though we do what we do for a living, I mean, you know, there's times where you're stressed out and you're like, damn it, I deserve that bacon double cheeseburger. <laughs> Wait, were you following me last night? What's the, yeah. <laughs> now, let's shift, gears, let's shift gears a little bit because one of the things I do want to talk to you about before we wrap up is as we've gotten older, how have you changed? You, you mentioned earlier that, that it takes long to recover. Like, what should we know? Because one of the things I started, one of the reasons why I started this podcast, Jay, is to talk with experts about your, like yourself, about how we should be adjusting our fitness programs as we get, as we age. Because just because we have a four or five in front of our age doesn't mean that we have to stop exercise. But in your experience, how does aging affect our ability to stay fit? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, probably one of the biggest things over the last few years has just been uh, I refuse to not be able to do things I did when I was 20. I still like to keep up with my students and athletes and, and all that. And apparently, uh, things have happened. And, and a lot of it is it's just the mileage. One of the things wear and tear on the system over time. Yeah, you know, I had a good friend, uh, Lauren Lando with the Broncos. He made a comment the other day. He's like, you know, you got a certain number of athletic bullets in your gun. So you want to use those bullets wisely. And, and I think I probably shot a few more than I should have shot when I did. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is like going like, okay, from an intensity standpoint and from a volume standpoint, you know, as we age, the recovery process does get a little bit more challenging. I, I mean, honestly, almost like, like I was saying with the, the police and fire, it's really trying to take care of your general health base first to be attentive to that and, you know, making sure that the nutrition is more dialed in. And, you know, I, you know, as I've gotten older, one of the other things that's um, overwhelmingly apparent is like, you know, with warming up, you know, we all know we should do it younger. I, I tend to grip it and rip it a little bit where I'm like, ah, it's probably fine. Like, you know, three minutes into like, okay, let's go ahead and get started. As I've gotten older, I've recognized like, okay, I do need to spend a, you know, not only the appropriate amount of time, but probably a little bit extra time making sure that I am, you know, warmed up and ready to go. And when I do that, I'm good to go. When I don't, I mean, there's, there's a price to pay for it. Well, the other aspects too is like spreading, you know, so with, with general workouts, you know, the goal now is not necessarily to do more. It's what's the, the minimal effective dose. <laughs> And really trying to look at, okay, what, what can I do to not get significantly worse over the next 20 years and not necessarily, you know, really trying to push some of those upper limits? Because I think that is one of the other challenges. And, and I'll, I'll admit this wholeheartedly, like being at the university, like I go work out where the students are, strength conditioning professor. So you don't want to be that guy who <laughs> isn't at least a little bit strong because there is a street cred issue that goes along with it. And 20, you don't fully understand you know, there is, there is a little bit of that ego involved where, okay, you want to be able to keep up a little bit so you have some street cred. Um, but it really is going like, okay, how can I touch on some of those higher levels of performance and not necessarily spend the majority of my time there? Well, it's funny you say that because one of the gyms I work out in, I, I was coaching high school rugby and I see some of the rugby players in there and it's kind of hard for me. So sometimes it's like I'll be deadlifting and you know I don't deadlift nearly what I used to be able to do, but it does force me to put that extra like 25. Those kind of like, I was only going to go up to this today, but 
uh, I got. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna push it. You know, it just because it sometimes your mind says yes. I mean, this has been the hardest part for me, Jay. Is that your mind says go, but your body says wait, wait, wait. wait can we talk about this for? A minute? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, no, exactly. Well, and so it's so I'll out myself on this. So several years back, so I was um, the last university I was at. I was also the uh, athletic program coordinator, basically for uh, strength conditioning. And so with our women's soccer team at. And this was right before I turned 40. And, you know, of course, at that point, I was like, dude, I'm going to 40 even better. And so I'm usually at that point, I was as fast as the fastest one if I was the guy saying go, because that gave me that that little split. So anyway, I, I said, hey, if you beat to the 20, you're done. So, you know, the arrogant part was like, ah, I'll win the first four or five, and then I'll probably ease up a little bit. Hard step, and I punch and drive, and all of a sudden, my calf just exploded. Ooh. So, so base, uh, that resulted in a grade two gastroc tear. Oh, geez. It was funny. The, the coach and somebody else was on the sideline and they go, what was that pop? And they go, <laughs> so literally it was, it was pretty significant. Um, but I mean, it, it had a massive impact on my training for, for about a year and a half. Well, that's why I, I did an article on that, Jay. I did like a functional anatomy art series for the American Council on Exercise. And it's, it's interesting you say that you did that at 40. For men between the ages of like 30 and 45 or 50, the calf muscle, the calf tear is one of the most, it's a calf tear and a knee that, that are the two most common injuries. Because I can't tell you, when I worked at a health club that had a basketball court, at least once a month, one of our guys, one of the members was going down with a calf tear. Because they come in, they're, they're, this was in D.C., they're, they're in their dress shoes all day long, they come in and... They, how much warming up did they do? Probably none. And and they you know, they step on the court, they shoot a few shots, and they think they're ready to run a game. Right at 38 years old, boom, that that thing goes and rolls up like a like a, a window shade. And it really, I mean, that's why I personally, I mean, just for listeners, one of the things I do before I do any plyometrics is I do like four or five sets of jumping jacks of just bouncing on my feet for a little bit just to warm up the tissues. Now, real quick, and I want to be very clear that you do not work with these individuals. I know you're not a trainer for them. And I know you probably have not studied them. If you did, you're probably on a serious NDA. But let's talk just a little bit as we wrap up. Theoretically, looking at Drew Brees, who just retired at age 40, you know, without a calf tear, and looking at, at of course, Tom Brady, why do you think, and what do you think the future is for these professional athletes? Because now, as we said, you know, 20, 25 years ago, pro athletes did not train year-round let alone have a nutrition coach, a sleep coach, and all that stuff. But how, what do you think the future holds for pro athletes who, who make a priority like Breeze and like, and like, and like Brady? Yeah, you know, and, and yeah, like you said, Pete, it, it, those guys are phenomenal. Like, I mean, especially at Brady's age. I mean, we're, we're tracking pretty close to the same age, and I can't even fathom tackle to the ground on a regular basis. So <laughs> it's uh, – yeah. Pretty remarkable they've been able to do what they've been able to do for as long as they have. But you know, I think it's I mean it's a combination of a lot of things. I mean, I think it's you know, definitely within the area of conditioning, nutrition, exercise science, we've we've improved leaps and bounds from where we were 20 years ago. Are more in tune to recovery and you know, some of the things, you know, really really taking care of their body versus just going grinding out, um, you know, more and more work. Um, so I think I, I think you know what you'll probably see in the you know, in the future is, you know, athletes being able to extend their careers. You know, obviously there's a lot of other factors such as, you know, genetics and, you know, everything else that go along with it. So, you know, I don't know that we're going to see like a whole lot of athletes, you know, moving into their fifties and, you know, playing pro sports. But I think, you know, it, it, I think it does just go to show you that, you know, if you're trying to make a concerted effort to take care of yourself, um, you know, you can maybe extend that career out by, you know, several years, which can, can be a pretty big deal. And, you know, especially like with Tom Brady, like, you know, I know a lot of the things that he does are going to be really controversial. And, you know, I can't say that I either agree or disagree with all of them, but nobody can really question his longevity. I mean, he definitely has, has found some, something that has worked for him that him to continue on. And that's, that's very admirable. Well, and and part of that though has to do with, you have a certain competitive spirit, right? I mean, when you look at at guys like, I mean, the late Kobe Bryant, I mean, he, he was, he wasn't just great because he was a great athlete, but he was great because he would go to the gym after a mat. He would go to a gym after a game to get better. Yeah. And, and the guy would like, he was just ridiculous about practicing and training. And from my understanding, Brady is the same way, but it, it's funny because I mean, also too, at the same time, we have Mike Tyson 
step back in the ring for a yeah. whatever that was. I didn't see it, but it was more like a promotional. And Oscar De La Hoya, who's the same age as me, has apparently yeah. signed for a fight in the summer of 2021. I mean, do you think there's understanding now? One of the things I think is exciting, Jay, is that the, we, we can look at aging differently. And just because we're a couple years older, it doesn't mean we have to slow down from our favorite activities, does it? No. Well, and, and like I said, I think what it means is you, I think it's lovely. You just have to recalibrate, right? And, and kind of figure out, you know, hey, these are the things that I want to do. And, and going back to what we talked about with the, the athletic bullet thing, it's like, all right, I've got, if I've got X amount in the tank, like I need to conserve and use that wisely. So what can I do to that amount of stress on my body over the long term so I can keep doing the things I love to do? I apply so much at any one time that I break. And I think that's the challenge too. You know, I think inherently, you know, a lot of us do have that competitive spirit. So if you've been in that space at some time, it's really, really hard to put the, the brakes on. And, and, you know, and like we talked about earlier in full disclosure, I really struggle with that at times as well, because I know that at this stage of the game, I still have certain capabilities, but I also know that if I hit those too hard, too often or too long, it's going to be a problem. Um, again, I sure like to play in that world every once in a while. So I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable touching on it to make sure we have some baselines and going like, okay, you know, here's my, my check mark. Can I still do that? Okay, cool. <laughs> well, and, and on that note, I mean, I'm going to, but in two weeks, Jay, I'm going out to uh, the East Coast to my old rugby club in Boston and I'm going yeah. to an over 40 rugby tournament. And I mean, oh, the nice. whole reason why, I mean, I, trust me, I am, I have no desire, just like your point, I don't want to go run and get tackled by a 24 year old who, <laughs> right. who, like, whatever. I, I'm only going to play like 40 and over, and I now qualify for the 45 and over division. But this is yeah. a specific 40 and over rugby tournament that I'm getting back in shape for. And let's just say that my mountain biking, my VO2 is great, but my foot speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah. is that's where but but that gets to specificity right is like for the last few weeks i've gone like i've been riding my mountain bike two or three times a week my vo2 is great but yeah. the impact forces and the reactivity is like i haven't been making lateral cuts i haven't been doing you know forward or reverse and i'm having to go slow because like you i know what could happen if I try to push it too fast, too quickly with that. Now, real quick, one of the things that's changed over the last number of years that we've been in business, Jay, is our understanding of recovery. And I know that you probably touched on this. What are your some strat? What are some of your favorite go-to? We'll, we'll wrap up with this to, to, because I want to respect your time and let you go. Um, I keep talking to you all day, though. <laughs> but, Dude, but, I'm, I'm good as long as you are. Let's go, buddy. <laughs> uh, but, but the thing is, when we look at this, like, what are your favorite, what are your couple of your favorite go-to strategies for recovery? Because that is one of the things that I really do think, because when I look at it personally, I look at training hard two or maybe three days a week. That's it. The other days of the week, I, I stay active, but I'm not nearly, it's like just mobility is lower intensity, but I go hard two or three days a week. And on those days I go hard, I either use compression pants, I use I use a percussion gun, a massage gun, or I, I just try to get this bed in a half hour, 45 minutes earlier so sleep can so I can use some sleep to, to recover. What are some of your go-to recovery strategies when, when you push yourself a little bit harder? Yeah, I mean I mean and like you said, like I'm I'm not uh, averse to any of those modalities or any of those methods because I mean honestly at this stage of the game, like I'm not gonna reject anything that may help. Frankly, probably the two biggest things are nutrition and sleep. I mean, it, it's not it's not sexy. I mean, that's probably not what people want to hear. It's probably like what well, you know, take this supplement or you know, roll out or whatever. But I mean I think that really, those are the two biggest things is when those two things are in alignment, um, you're, you're going to get probably the most bang for your buck from those two aspects. And, and so the other things are going to be complimentary and they're going to help with that. Like, you know, I've used compression garments. Um, I've actually used those more like as uh, the performance compression. So like during activity, we actually, it's, we did a study several years back um, where we looked at a you know performance-based compression garment. It's a long drawn out story, but long story short, we sent people about two and a half miles up the side of the mountain and two and a half back down um, wearing compression garments or not wearing them. And what we saw is that the delayed onset of muscle soreness the days following the trial where they used the compression garment were significantly less than they were when they didn't. Hmm. And, and I think a lot of that is just related to, you know, one, you know, probably you know, a little bit of greater biomechanical efficiency. Because, you know, the, the thing with those compression garments is they have the uh, mechanic. I mean, when you have pressure on the joints, the mechanoreceptors kick in just maybe a little bit more. Hmm. Maintenance of body positions, it probably helps with some of that. Um, but, but long story short, we, and, and, you know, obviously the, the, uh, ability of it to, you know, pump blood back up to the, the heart and, and whatnot from the extremities, but 
Long story short, I mean, I, I think those those are certainly great options, you know, with um, foam rolling, you know, using, you know, myofascial release or I mean, really self massage is a lot of, you know, for certain individuals, that's that's really beneficial, which is the funny thing. And I think that's that's kind of the funny thing with, um, you know, recovery in general. It's usually kind of the individualized strategy about, you know, what's going to work best for you, what you enjoy. You know, we've, we've used contrast therapy. So like cold plunges to hot to you know, active recovery in a pool. But I mean, if you hate doing, if, if you hate being in cold water, you're probably not going to do it. So well, like, I mean, yeah, theoretically, I, I know, like I've read the research on cryo and I know the benefits of cold, but yeah, yeah. I have to tell you that the most, the most strength, the, the, the toughest thing I've ever done is sit in a cryo chamber for three minutes. I was oh, like yeah. crying after 60 seconds. I was like, get me out of here. Yeah. I, I worked with a SWAT team one time and they, they all had a membership at this one uh, health club. And so they had a cold plunge, a hot tub and a pool. And so our general criteria is like sit in the cold, the cold plunge for two minutes for, you know, however long it takes. And I didn't, and I didn't care if they ran or doggy paddle or whatever. It's just, it's more to get some uh, active recovery than have that hydrostatic pressure from the water and jump in the uh, hot tub for two minutes and then repeat that cycle three times. You know, so basically you kind of get that pumping action, the vasoconstriction dilation from the hot and the cold, and then the active recovery and hydrostatic pressure from the lap and the pool. And at two minute bouts, it was tolerable. <laughs> but you know, it's like, okay, I only have to be here two minutes. But but yeah, I mean I think that's the big thing. But if you're hydrophobic, you're gonna hate that. I mean, you're gonna freak out and you're like, mm, not for me. So I think I think that is the thing. It's like it's a very individualized strategy. And I think, you know, the two things that I can definitely say 100 percent work without any our sleep and nutrition <laughs> well it's so funny jay because you just like i've talked to strength coaches on here and, and you know um who was it todd uh todd wright who was at texas he was he was a coach yeah. at texas he was with the 76ers i think the last i heard was with the clippers but i don't know if he's, he's still with them but he does, he's an snc coach for basketball but that was his number one i asked him his number one recovery thing it was like sleep and that's that's been relatively consistent in nutrition we know you have to replace carbohydrate and repair protein. Now, now I know I want to have you on here to talk to geek a little bit, but you do have a couple books out. What what are your what are your your books on? And I mean, because because I use I mean that part of what I'm basing my training on for rugby is your one book on uh, speed and agility training. Yeah, yeah, man. So yeah, there's there's a handful. Um, so you know, maximal interval training that we have out, which uh, was a really cool project. So John Sissick uh, out of Texas, he invited me to to work on that project with him, and you know, was just so incredibly knowledgeable and, and such a great coach. Um, so that one's out there. That one is more of a uh, kind of a holistic program, a lot of different aspects for a lot of different types of individuals, and uh, a lot of different um, modalities that you can use as well. So I mean, we have everything from you know, body weight training only to using like non-traditional implements like sandbags, um, water-filled Swiss balls and stuff like that. And then uh, several years back, I got to do a book on uh, TRX. So it was a, uh, the complete guide to TRX training. So that's one that's out there as well, which was a really fun project because, you know, the TRX was, you know, it's something that we've used pretty extensively over the last 10, 13 years in mo- almost every one of our either general fitness or athletic development training programs as kind of a part of training program. I think that was the key is like, it was something we always use as part of the program. Very rarely was it the only thing we use, but I think last year with the pandemic and some of the restrictions we had and some of the, the issues that we faced with, you know, access to equipment, it really stressed even more how, how much that tool can be used and just all the things that uh, you can develop with that as far as, you know, you know, improving health, fitness, performance, and just, you know, staying in general good condition. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, there's the uh, book on uh, developing speed and agility or uh, agility and quickness uh, with the uh, NSCA. So I was an editor on that book. We got our second edition out now. Okay. Um, the, the first edition was fantastic. The second edition, in my opinion, is even better because I think we just we know more now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always need to go. Now I need, dang it! Now I need to go buy another. Because I, I don't know about you, but I always update whenever a new edition comes out. Like I, I just bought Brad's book on hypertrophy, and, and I updated oh, uh, the Zat Short. Thinks about that. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, he's relatively competent in that area. Well, no, but I mean, but you know, <laughs> as, as geeks, we always update our library. But yeah. I have to say that I'm a huge fan, and that's one of the things, Jay, is I might train heavy with weights one day. But one of those lower intensity workouts is TRX, where you know, yeah. I, I love and I love what I love doing is there's a park down the street from my house. I'll throw a TRX in a backpack, walk about two miles, hanging up when the kids aren't there, hanging up for one of the swing sets, and I'll do like a 20 minute body weight workout. And in my mind, that's like a you call it a mobility workout, call it active, whatever you want to call it. 
I'm moving, but I'm not overstressing the system. No, absolutely. And I think that's the, you know, kind of the, the benefit of it too, is like, you know, when I travel, I mean, that's something I can throw in a suitcase really easily and still work out. And, you know, I think, you know, that's the key is, you know, it, it's not going to be, you know, obviously if you're trying to work on certain goals, it may not overload the system enough to where you're going to achieve certain things, but it's certainly enough to help maintain in a lot of areas. And that's, that's huge. And that's, yeah, that's what you want when you're traveling. That's exactly what you want is you're not going to grow, but you need to maintain. Well, yeah. you know, Jay, I really appreciate your time, man. Um, dude, I love catching up with you. You're one, you're one of my favorite guys, and I've, I've had you on my list for a while to talk to on the podcast. And I'm going to circle back, and especially because you don't go back to school for a while. I mean, are you, do you have any travel plans for the summer? Are you guys going to catch up on anything? Yeah, no, it's going to be yeah, kind of off and on here and there. So um, I'm really, uh, we, we have a grant with FEMA to uh, do some firefighter wellness courses. So we'll be doing that. Um, and then the uh, uh, NSCA, there's a couple of tactical strength conditioning courses that I'll be looking at trying to, to work with as well. So yeah, there's there's going to be a handful of uh, travel opportunities and things like that coming up. But uh, but yeah, man, Pete, I would, I'd be honored to have a chance to talk to you again and catch up and yeah, any way I can. Well, and then I'm, I'm going to follow up with you again offline just to stay in touch, man. I always important you with the conversations. Well, Jay Dawes, Associate Professor of Exercise Science at the Oklahoma State University. <laughs> uh, how are the Cowboys going to do this year in football, do you think? I, I always assume they're going to be champions. So. <laughs> <laughs> until, until proven otherwise. Hey, man. Well, this is perfect I appreciate your time, man. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Pete. See you. That was a fun and fascinating conversation, and I love I love this field of tactical strength and conditioning. And to be 100% honest, if you gave me the choice of going and working with a professional football team or professional athletes and working with the military or law enforcement community, I'd prefer the latter, right? Because when you look at athletes, if you look at professional athletes, the one caveat I'll make is if I ever got the opportunity to work in professional rugby, I'd go do that. I'd jump at that. That We now have a professional rugby league here in the States, Major League Rugby. If I had a chance to go do strength and conditioning in that in, in one of the, with one of those teams, I would do it in a heartbeat. But otherwise, all the other sports, nope, <laughs> don't want to do that. I'd much rather work in, in tactical fitness because and this is selfish. I mean, I've said this before. You may have heard me say it. Heaven forbid I'm ever in an accident. Heaven forbid one of my family members, one of my loved ones, a good friend is in an accident. I want the people showing up on the scene to be able to work that scene with the, to the best of their ability with a minimal risk of injury. And I mean that. That's why this is such an important field. You may think about that, oh, those guys. No, I mean, those men and women that, that are out there, whether they're in law enforcement, whether they're firefighters, whether they're EMS, whether they're military, they have a very tough and challenging job. They have a very physically demanding job. And it's not like a sports league where they play for a few months and get a couple months off, or they have a lot of dedicated resources to help them get fit. It's only been the last maybe 10 or 12 years that a lot more departments have been putting a lot more resources into understanding how to use how to use exercise and how to use fitness to keep their members on active duty. I want to give you a little insight into this. I want to give you a little insight into what it goes into fitness and health and conditioning for the people that take care of us. So Jay, a huge thank you for your time and a huge thank you for all of you for listening to the All About Fitness podcast. If you like the podcast, rate, review it, share it with your friends. If you have any comments, please send them to me, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. And as always, thanks for stopping by. I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.